Do you remember Flappy Bird? For those of you that don't, Flappy Bird was a mobile game released in May of 2013. Its gameplay was pretty basic. A bird named Fabby moved to the right of the screen automatically. Your job was to avoid the pairs of pipes with equally sized gaps and varying heights. Fabby would automatically descend and only ascend when you touched the screen. The more pipes you avoided, the more points you would get. And if you collided with pipes, game over. Was it fun? Well, it generated 50 million downloads by January of 2014, topping Android and iOS stores. However, the phenomenon was short-lived and it was taken down from Apple's App Store and Google Play under mysterious circumstances. Some say it was due to copyright infringement. Others say it was because the creator wasn't enthused by its addicting nature. I'm by no means suggesting that you go out and get your customers hopelessly addicted to a game that they cannot put down. There's definitely lines we want to draw here. However, let's look at this gamification because it's an interesting example of what you can do with your customer base. Today's guest, Anna Gong, founded Perks Technologies in 2014 and is currently their CEO. Anna sat down with Neil Desai at SaaS Doc 2022 to discuss, among other things, how gamification and game theory can drive customer loyalty, even in enterprise SaaS. And don't worry if you're concerned that gamifying customer loyalty results in shallow customer engagement. There's a way to use it for good. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Anna Gong dives deep on gamifying customer loyalty. We talk about embracing local culture while introducing innovation, using game theory to drive customer loyalty, augmenting enterprise with a PLG motion, the benefits of having a chip on your shoulder, and the pitfalls you want to avoid with game theory. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on what we go over. Then, when you leave your five-star review, tell us what game you were most obsessed with. First up, Neil and Anna talk about embracing local culture while introducing innovation. Anna, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Neil. Welcome to Protect the Hustle. We're here at SaaS Talk 2022, and I'm excited to chat with you on a number of axes today. Your background, transition from the Bay Area to Asia, PLG, Enterprise SaaS, and a number of other things. But just to kick us off, like I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background. How'd you, how'd you kind of get to where you are now? And we'll go from there. So yeah. Yeah, well, thanks, Neil. So my background is not very complicated, but it's a very unique journey to myself. I grew up in Florida, went to San Francisco and spent probably a dozen years there in my career, really hitting the, the startup ecosystem. Four startups in the Bay Area and three fail miserably. We were part of mainly pioneering teams growing, you know, very enterprisey type of software solutions. And then one of them actually exited very successfully and we pioneered the whole APM space, so Wiley Technologies. And when I actually moved out to Asia, it's because CA Technologies who acquired us asked me to go bail out some of the you know, territories that weren't growing. And so they, they immediately sent me to Japan and I stayed there for a couple of years and I came back to Singapore for the next few years and I decided I, I'm not really getting as much out of it with big companies versus the startup ecosystem. So I went back to the startup and here I am. In some ways, like unsurprising, right? Given given your where you started and, and I guess just your interest. 
What was the transition like? Uh, Bay Area culture, very, very different than Japan, very different than Asia, emerging markets. Like, what was that transition like? How how'd you go about that? Wow. I was guns blazing, American, like, brashness coming into Asia. I'm going to bring Silicon Valley to Singapore. Wow. What? You know, that was so, such a wake-up call when it didn't work out. <laughs> Very much a hybrid model where they embrace it but Asia is still very behind in terms of you know the whole thought leadership and certain innovation I've always been on the deep tech side and this company that I'm running today is a marketing solution and very focused on the frontline and monetization business models versus IT you know operational heavy and so my thinking when when I was going out there was how do I start a company where I have no relationships you know, how do you sell to a ecosystem that you never sold before? And that was a, you know, great learning for me and the team as well. What was the genesis of like, when did it hit you that you had something to actually build on? Like, what, what was that moment like? Well, I was saying yesterday at the scale stage where when I was looking for a product market fit for the company, the first 20 logos, I actually sold to Westerners. There were Western-run, you know, companies uh, or, or the CTOs Western or they're Western-educated. They understand what leading-edge, cutting-edge technologies, automation, innovation, and they really want to adopt that. And they themselves are trying to move an internal movement to transform those companies in Asia, whether it's a global financial institution or a local bank or a telco. They are going in there trying to disrupt themselves and the, their teams. And so most of the logos I sold to were to Western guys. That's funny. And then, and then you kind of had to translate that, right, to the, the sales process and the adoption that the local market in Singapore had, right? Yeah. T- tell us about like what the company does and, and uh, you know, who, who your customers typically are. Well, when I say that we're a customer engagement and loyalty platform, it's so unsexy. The VCs love hearing behavioral intelligence and marketing platform, but essentially we're using advanced automation and game theory to drive user behavior for first party data. So most of our clients are large financial institutions, insurance, banking, fintechs, telcos, whatnot. And we're actually sitting front and center in their own core business apps. And, you know, how do we help them drive and monetize on um, user behavior and customer actions? And they own the data rather than going to the external channels to acquire those. Next, Anna talks about using game theory to drive customer loyalty. I find that fascinating. I haven't thought about game theory since my like econ course back in my undergraduate uh, studies. Tell, Tell me about what is that? How does it play out in terms of like an actual customer journey, right? How do you use game theory to actually drive customer loyalty? So a lot of businesses have been investing in heavily on CAC, right? Customer acquisition. But there are a lot of drop-offs, massive churn going to, you know, what you guys are focusing on. But how do I drive a 30, 60, 90 day, let's say if I'm a fintech, uh, from acquisition to activation to the whole onboarding and engagement? Because most of the time we focus on acquisition and then we punt it over to a different team. Oh, I acquire this group. Now it's your turn to monetize. You take care of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... If you're actually owning the entire platform as a product owner, your metrics are everything from you know start to finish. And so a lot of product owners come to us by asking us to solve the entire customer experience and that whole journey, chaining multiple actions into a singular campaign. That means, you know, and also today in the mobile first economy, many users want instant gratification. They don't want to earn a series of points. It's not like airlines or, or hospitality. 
If you're frequently interacting with a brand, you should be instantly gratified and rewarded for doing so. So we use a lot of, you know, the traditional game theory types of mechanics like leaderboarding, badging, teaming, you know, driving social virality, all sorts of different layers, quests, missions. And how do you also couple that with mindless games? And then how do you actually create that whole challenging effort to achieve a certain purpose or a meaning for what you've done yourselves? Because a lot of times, I think mostly users, they, it's not about the reward. And this is what brands mistaken, you know, how to engage customers is I'll dangle this expensive, you know, promo or this voucher. And then you take that voucher and you go away or you take that cashback and you go away. We're trying to continuously engage customers so that they keep on coming back and feel relevant for engaging with that brand. I think that's a really interesting point because if I'm engaging with my bank or my telecom, right, I'm not really in it for the badge or the reward. I'm in it to get something done. Yeah. yeah. And so to your point, it's like, how do we leverage those mechanics to actually help the user get value from purpose of the product in the first place, right? Right. And even like, you know, COVID, most of the brands thought, let's stop, you know, pushing our customers to spend when there's, you know, there's a high default rate and debt collection is also a challenge. Why don't we actually pivot our entire campaign to increase financial literacy, increase wealth, savings? So how do you drive user behavior around that? And then how do you drive positive user behavior for timely repayment, so it's not just about spend. And we, we're kind of you know confused about driving user behavior for always spend, spend, spend. But for most brands, you can actually use all sorts of creatives to think about what does it mean to solve certain business challenges. And now Anna and Neil discuss augmenting enterprise with a PLG motion. I understand your customers are these large enterprise telecom banks, others, right? Walk me through like what the sales motion looks like. I'm at, it's largely self-serve or sales assisted to date, right? How's that going? And how are you guys thinking about your go-to-market? So, you know, when we were saying that we're growing one or two X, it's not the hockey stick that you normally see from a blitz scaling culture. We, you know, enterprise is long sales cycle. It's very sales led, it's expensive, but it's quite sticky. You know, churn for us is low, high value, low churn, also low volume. At the same time, when we were looking at it, how do we create sustainability for the business and also predictability? We need a lot more leading indicators for what our user adoption, usage patterns and behavior ourselves, but at the same time, do it at scale. And we're now getting so many digital natives coming in organically asking for, how do I solve my you know, customer behavior problem, customer experience? I want your gamification platform. And they're too small for my expensive reps to you know, serve them. So we have a queue of now you know, 50 to 100 digital natives just lining up for the beta program. And so we're launching a parallel initiative to enable now PLG. I think this is really interesting because I think a lot of these companies that have found product market fit in the enterprise, right, also notice demand on the lower end of of the market, right? And so tell me about who, like, when you initially introduced this idea of building a parallel PLG go-to-market motion, how did the team take that? Like, it's not an easy or small thing to go about, right? This trend, I'm, I'm super fascinated by companies that transition from this enterprise and augmenting that with a PLG motion. How did that go down? Yeah, so we we talked a lot about it last year and only a certain business unit was so excited. And to rally the team across, you need a PLG organization, right? Not just the product. That culture has to be there. And so 
we hired a new chief product technology officer who was really evangelizing across the organization from a very business-led approach and uh, really getting the team excited. So now the whole organization is rallying behind this initiative. I don't see one person that is actually pushing back by saying this is not going to work. And even some of our enterprise sales guys are saying we're, we're super excited because it's giving us a lot more funnel. So that's positive through and through. I think the thing you mentioned that it's not just one team, right? And I think this is the important part. It's like, the, it, it's really in the DNA of an entire company because it touches the entire entire company. Everyone needs to play their part in PLG. How did you guys think about the, the allocation of resources? Because you still have these enterprise folks to sell to and maintain and keep happy. How do you balance these two at one time? Yeah, so that is interesting question. So the teams will be very different in terms of more inside sales approach and, and customer success on the PLG and just volume play, right? And we're going to also experience a lot of churn. You know, Patrick said that a thousand or 10,000 times yesterday. But for the enterprise guys, they're busy also expanding the existing accounts. Like one or two of our accounts should be a million dollar to five million dollar ACV or AR contracts. And we have barely touched the surface. So there's a lot for them to already do. While we're embarking on this new initiative, we will focus on really top of the funnel and A-B testing a lot of our assumptions. I love that. Yeah, I think to your point, it's not zero sum. Like you can grow both, right? Yeah. And ultimately, you have to figure out the way to incentivize the team to drive those. But that's those are all things that you can solve for, right? How are you guys thinking about? So from a from a product perspective, the things that these enterprise folks want is probably also different than the PLG. But the PLG is unproven yet. The unit economics are very different. Are you are you how are you thinking about the future of the product specifically? Like where you invest in from here out? Is it is it just you got to do both? Is it is it that simple? Or how do you how do you prioritize as a product person? This is something I'm interested in because I I'm constantly torn between right building for the low end but then scaling that faster versus my one or two really big enterprise ones that I'm on the hook for like how how do you yeah how how do you give that product team that 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 direction so this is interesting because my entire career has been an enterprise software so i i can probably do this in my sleep <laughs> not really but still very challenging but when you look at doing it the hard way and building an enterprise SaaS company and then going downstream to mass market it's a completely antithesis of what most companies do and so when we looked at this a lot of people were saying rarely do they succeed even investors so we're we're going to prove them wrong uh, <laughs> because I think there's a mass market in the mid-market as well as the SMEs that are looking for, even in Latin America, like we're getting inbound activity from that. They want a specific use case that is not being solved by the traditional loyalty or MarTech sending emails type of solution. They really need to drive user behavior. How do you do that beyond that one-off expensive promo or one-off click-through? And brands are seeking for monetization now more than, uh, you know, the the hype market when it was CAC, very heavy on CAC and acquisition and top of the funnel. Now it's about how do you drive revenue for active customers? I think what, what I've been thinking about is like I, our industry is getting slowly but more mature in really trying to do this in authentic ways, right? We're not just shoving discounts. We realize that acquiring low affinity customers isn't going to lead to high retention. Where do you see this going in five to 10 years as, as, as data becomes easier to access, first party data becomes easier to access? And at some point, right, you need to attract high quality, retain, retain these customers. What are you seeing in the industry when it comes to like the, the sophistication around how brands are actually thinking about it, engaging their customers over the entire life cycle? So most of the customers that we are working with, they are also you know, challenged with how to use a tool or a platform. 
And many of our competitors are very focused on API-driven solutions and technology-oriented. If I give you a tool, what are you going to do with it? So it's just an enabler. I think the IP comes down to your creativity, your content, and your business model. And so we, you know, as VCs advise us the same way, we're actually you know, saying this for the last few years to our customers. I give you this platform. It's up to your creative team and creative muscles to design the A-B test and the different journeys around how you want to engage your customers. That's your IP. Because I keep on asking, oh, what has other banks been doing? Don't worry about what other banks have been doing. What can you do differently? How do you want to engage? What kind of content? Because if you think about Instagram with millions of influencers in an open loop platform like that, and they're buying for the same eyeballs, how do influencers you know, achieve that conversion? It's through content and creativity. So think about you know, repurposing your own organization around that. And so this is what we're advising our customers as well. I imagine there's a huge educational element to what you guys are doing too, right? Because even if they have the platform, if their organization doesn't get it, right, it's not going to work, right? So how, how, do you, how do you enable these companies to rethink how they engage with their customers over, like, on a fundamental level? Well, I mean, if technology is just the enabler, you know, in the creator economy, everything is around customer experience. That's the new product. So if you really dig deep inside, if my customer experience is not ideal, pleasurable and friendly to use, and it's not high friction, then I, I'm playing in the, in the, you know, good sector. But most of our clients, they don't even get the fundamentals right. And most of the brands actually are not getting the fundamentals right around customer experience. It's still the traditional ethos around, I have to stand up a loyalty program. I have to set up a rewards catalog and then they will come. No. <laughs> Where do you even start there? If, if, if we have folks listening to this that are in one of those large organizations and they realize, look, we're probably not thinking about this right way. What are some of the, where do you start in terms of rethinking how, how to do this properly? I think a lot of it is really around what's hurting the most now from a business objective perspective. Are you experiencing a lot of churn? Let's figure out where those segments are churning and let's you know, re-engage and reignite those customers. Are you uh, experiencing a lot of drop-offs or dormancy after certain behavior? Let's focus on certain you know, types of engagement type campaign. Um, let's drive some uh, social virality. Let's start building some creative campaigns around teaming. And how do you, you know, use teaming to also infect referrals? Because if I invite a team of five and four out of the five people are not an app user, now it's a natural acquisition. I didn't have to pay anything because, you know, I invited you to form a team to compete against others to design a certain behavior or a journey. So there's so many different things that we can help them design that is really meaningful to solving the current pain point first. Does this and this is I've, I've most of my experience has been in North America and now in Europe. Are there parts of this that vary by market? Like I'm, I'm, I imagine consumers in Singapore behave very differently than LATAM and you're like, the, you know, Europe. How, how do you guys think about localizing some of these efforts based on the markets you're serving? That's a very good question because we signed a 23 country contract with one of the global insurance giants. Press release will be going out soon. They have a hub of a solution, the educator or center of excellence, and they are the ones who are learning our solution and really driving the effort to evangelize across the 23 markets. And when they're launching in Vietnam and Philippines, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, everyone speaks different languages, they use different content. So those marketers or uh, product platform, I would say users in those particular markets are driving their localized content. 
they know their customers better than anybody. So it shouldn't coming from a hub, you know, whereas if you're in New York, you don't drive a campaign to go after Philippines. You don't know anything about Philippines. So it's really enabling your product owners or your marketers locally. How do they actually drive those adoption, activation rates, engagement rates? And then they can actually start A-B testing and being more creative around their local market. But you need a solution to enable that. So we serve all languages from the very get-go. And then they can plop their own content to serve the customers. That, that, that makes a ton of sense. Because I, I think to your point, it's not just like the language. It's, it's how they think, right? It's the, it's the things they're thinking about, talking about, their, re- their referencing context is so wildly different. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we we saw them executing very unique campaigns differently and their creative muscles in certain markets are like off the chart. And so we ended up seeing massive uptake in engagement rates and monetization and ROI around those um, unique, you know, creativity. Next up, Anna talks about the benefits of having a chip on your shoulder. What are you most What are you most excited about? You have this impending PLG thing happening. You have a pretty strong enterprise base. What What are you most excited about as you think about growing in the next year and, and, yeah. and beyond? I'm excited about just proving our assumption is correct. That also learn around you know how do we grow this business through a PLG journey. Future is that, but at the same time, running a dual strategy is a must now. Shifting gears a little bit, why why this? Like, why on a personal level? Why you could be doing a lot of things, right? You could be a product director at Google. You could be working on a whole number of other things, right? Uh, you could be a firefighter, whatever. Why why this? Was it something in your childhood? Something your parents did? Like, why why this? Yeah, that's a good question. I have some fire in my belly as an immigrant. You know, growing up in the U.S., I'm China from Guangzhou. But that whole immigrant struggle of really trying to prove yourself in my DNA, and I think, you know, Silicon Valley is made up of mostly immigrants and all the success stories around that. But more so, Singapore is also not known for founding global software companies. And needless to say, also single female founding, you know, software companies. So there is that chip on my shoulder that I do want to show that you can grow, uh, grow a global company out of Singapore and it's founded by a female. Have you, what are some of the challenges? I mean, there's no entrepreneur that goes about this without running into challenges and, and obstacles in the way. As you think back and reflect on your time, even just growing this business to 70 plus people and, and the customers you have, what are you most proud of having overcome to date? Just learning. I think being open. I'm just proud that I've sustained this long. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes, yeah. right? It's just to be around longer than everyone else. It's like that chihuahua, you know, not letting go of, I'm, I'm just proud of the journey that, you know, we emerge uh, from a few valley of death experiences. I can say that we're probably default alive and not default dead. And it's, it's been a journey in terms of sustaining, persevering, um, and really working with my team, those who really believe in this uh, story and this journey with me to grow a global company out of this. So, and we have, you know, we're serving customers in over 15 markets out of Singapore. We have a lot of, I think, particularly early stage founders that listen to the show. Any words of wisdom or advice on how to, how to, how to, how to keep going, right? How to, how to persevere. Cause I think that's often like the, 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 the thing that's probably the hardest in the early days is 
you're finding product market fit, you have a huge customer churn, you're trying to enter a new market. Like, yeah, what, what, what is your advice to those, those folks? Mainly to seek help. I don't, I don't think that, you know, as, as a Chinese race, you know, what's our core values, whatnot, the way that we were raised is do it yourself and, you know, keep quiet and don't be vulnerable. <laughs> I had to learn it the hard way to relearn and, you know, to unlearn all of my upbringing from my parents to now in Silicon Valley and San Francisco to be vulnerable, you know, and to really be more open and to be a lot more humble. I've been joining a lot of networks that are safe spaces for us to really, you know, learn and talk about our failures and challenges and really, and then mental health, right? I mean, you're not alone and that being a founder is a very lonely game. What did, what did your parents do? I feel like that always uh, provides really unique insight into a person. Well, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a professor and then they came to the U.S. and they completely changed their career, did the whole... Chinese restaurant type, uh, you know, pivot because of English barriers and have to, you know, restart from scratch. And so that's a big learning. And then for them to give us a future. So then you feel indebted. It's like the subconscious in you, you know, the fire. You know. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Cool. Um, Anna, to take us home, as you think about all the things you have going on right now, growing the business, scaling into new markets, acquiring customers, where is this in five years, if you think back to impacting this industry and the way companies use data to, to better engage with their customers, like what is what is what does success look like? Well, I'm not even looking at five years. I'm looking at the next five months, <laughs> surviving the, the next quarter or two. But I'm just excited. I'm super excited about what's to come with PLG and running this parallel and dual strategy with enterprise SaaS. I think most of even the large enterprises want to be more self-serve and tinker with MVPs and whatnot. So we're going to see a lot of different use cases coming in, but I'm just super excited about the next journey, uh, improving everybody around. And now Anna and Neil talk about the pitfalls to avoid with game theory. Actually, I had one question before on the on the PLG piece before we before we wrap. One of the one of the things that comes up a lot when we think about this is like the, your unit economics, specifically from a CAC perspective. How are you guys shifting, if at all, your acquisition strategy to get these folks right? I imagine your enterprise motion is perhaps a combination of inbound and outbound salespeople, right? How what is the process for acquiring? Is it all just organic, right? Or what, what does that look like in terms of keeping CAC reasonable in a PLG world? Right. And we're going to spend a lot more on digital marketing and content and creatives, and that will actually fuel the, the inbound activities. Um, also, we're testing whether freemium or free forever, a certain uh, CSR approaches to giving communities that are like NGOs, education sectors, maybe to tease out, you know, how do we actually give back to communities that deserve it better? driving financial literacy for juniors or for younger generation and using game theory and gamification for good. How do we, you know, embody that and, and really just give back to the community? So there's different approaches that we're, we're going to A-B test and I'm excited about those. That's almost, is there, is there, is there a world where you kind of have to protect your customers from themselves a bit? If you can use game theory for, for positive outcomes, I'm sure you can also use it for negative outcomes. Like, is there, is that a consideration at all or not really? Yes, yeah, so I have a big um, moral compass where one of the tobacco companies came to us three, four times asking us to, you know, help them 
we cannot drive people to smoke more. Sorry. So that, that's something that I told my team. We will not serve any tobacco companies and other sectors as well that are not doing it for good. So we have to really stay true to our ethos. No, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think as a founder, like that starts with you, right? I think you said that uh, that, that culture kind of percolates down to the entire team. And, and, and at the end of the day, when you have technology that's really powerful, right? That, that comes with that certain responsibility. Anything else for, for, for viewers around just like building, growing companies and, and just your journey? Not much. I, I just feel like I wake up enthused. <laughs> I'm just quite excited about the future. You know, it's been a grind uh, getting here. Not one day, you know, despite all of the trials and tribulations, have I ever said I'm going to quit. Like you said, I could be doing all this stuff with the big tech companies and I have been quartered many times, but I just love what I'm doing right now. Love it. Well, Anna, thank you. I really, really appreciate the time. And uh, how do folks, if folks want to learn more about the technology you guys are working on or just how they can better use data, how can they find you or more about your company? I'm uh, quite active on social media. So uh, LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me. And then Perks we'll Technology. Link it down here somewhere in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, look me up and our company is P-E-R-X, Perks Technologies. And I'd love to hear from you guys. Awesome. Well, thanks, Anna. Really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for being you. here. Thank you so much to Anna for doing this podcast. Now you have what it takes to gamify customer loyalty. Today, we talked about embracing local culture while introducing innovation, using game theory to drive customer loyalty, augmenting enterprise with a PLG motion, the benefits of having a chip on your shoulder, and the pitfalls to avoid with game theory. Make sure when you give Protect the Hustle a five-star review, you tell us what game you are most obsessed with. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.